section fifteen of history of henry the fourth king of france and navarre by john stevens cabot abbott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter six the houses of valois of guise and of bourbon part two the duke of guise in his advancing years was accompanied to the field of battle by his son francis who inherited all his father's courtly bearing energy talent and headlong valour at the siege of luxembourg a musket-ball shattered the ankle of young francis then count of olmal and about eighteen years of age as the surgeon was operating upon the splintered bones and quivering nerves the sufferer gave some slight indication of his sense of pain his iron father severely reprimanded him saying persons of your rank should not feel their wounds but on the contrary should take pleasure in building up their reputation upon the ruin of their bodies others of the sons of claude also signalized themselves in the wars which then desolated europe and they received wealth and honours the king erected certain lands and lordships belonging to the duke of guise into a marquisate and then immediately elevated the marquisate into a duchy and the youngest son of the duke of guise inheriting the property was ennobled with the title of the duke of mayence thus there were two rich dukedoms in the same family claude had six sons all young men of imperious spirit and magnificent bearing they were allied by marriage with the most illustrious families in france several of them being connected with princes of the blood royal the war-worn duke covered with wounds which he deemed his most glorious ornaments often appeared at court accompanied by his sons they occupied the following posts of rank and power francis the eldest count of omal was the heir of the titles and the estates of the noble house claude was marquis of mayence charles was archbishop of rheims the richest benefice in france and he soon attained one of the highest dignities of the church by the reception of a cardinal's hat louis was bishop of troyes and francis the youngest chevalier of lorraine and duke of mayence was general of the galleys of france one of the daughters was married to the king of scotland and the others had formed most illustrious connections thus the house of guise towered proudly and sublimely from among the noble families in the midst of whom it had so recently been implanted henry the eighth of england inflamed by the report of the exceeding beauty of mary daughter of the duke of guise had solicited her hand but claude was unwilling to surrender his daughter to england's burly and brutal old tyrant and declined the regal match the exasperated monarch in revenge declared war against france years of violence and blood lingered away at last claude aged and infirm surrendered to that king of terrors before whom all must bow in his strong castle of joinville on the twelfth of april fifteen fifty the illustrious magnanimous blood-stained duke after a whole lifetime spent in slaughter breathed his last his children and his grandchildren were gathered around the bed of the dying chieftain in the darkness of that age he felt that he had been contending with divine approval for christ and his church with prayers and thanksgivings and language expressive of meekness and humility before god 
he ascended to that tribunal of final judgment where there is no difference between the peasant and the prince the chivalrous and warlike francis inherited his father's titles wealth and power and now the house of guise was so influential that the king trembled in view of its rivalry it was but the kingly office alone which rendered the house of valois superior to the house of guise in illustration of the character of those times and the hardihood and sufferings through which the renown of these chieftains was obtained the following anecdote may be narrated francis duke of guise in one of the skirmishes with the english invaders received a wound which is described as the most severe from which any one ever recovered the lance of an english officer entered above the right eye declining toward the nose and piercing through on the other side between the nape and the ear the weapon having thus penetrated the head more than half a foot was broken off by the violence of the blow the lance iron and two finger breadths of the staff remained in the dreadful wound the surgeons of the army stupefied by the magnitude of the injury declined to attempt the extraction of the splinter saying that it would only expose him to dreadful and unavailing suffering as he must inevitably die the king immediately sent his surgeon with orders to spare no possible efforts to save the life of the hero the lance head was broken off so short that it was impossible to grasp it with the hand the surgeon took the heavy pincers of a blacksmith and asked the sufferer if he would allow him to make use of so rude an instrument and would also permit him to place his foot upon his face you may do anything you consider necessary said the duke the officer standing around looked on with horror as the king's surgeon aided by an experienced practitioner tore out thus violently the barbed iron fracturing the bones and tearing nerves veins and arteries the hardy soldier bore the anguish without the contraction of a muscle and was only heard gently to exclaim to himself oh my god the sufferer recovered and ever after regarded the frightful scar which was left as a signal badge of honour he hence bore the common name of le belafre or the scarred as the duke returned to court the king hurried forth from his chamber to meet him embraced him warmly and said it is fair that i should come out to meet my old friend who on his part is ever so ready to meet my enemies gradually however francis the king became very jealous of the boundless popularity and enormous power acquired by this ambitious house upon his dying bed he warned his son of the dangerous rivalry to which the guises had attained and enjoined it upon him to curb their ambition by admitting none of the princes of that house to a share in the government but as soon as king francis was consigned to his tomb henry the second his son and successor rallied the members of this family around him and made the duke almost the partner of his throne he needed the support of the strong arm and of the inexhaustible purse of the princes of lorraine the arrogance of the guises or the princes of lorraine as they were frequently called in consequence of their descent from claude of lorraine reached such a pitch that on the occasion of a proud pageant when henry the second was on a visit of inspection to one of his frontier fortresses the duke of guise claimed equal rank 
with henry of navarre who was not only king of navarre but as the duke of vendome was also first prince of the blood in france an angry dispute immediately arose the king settled it in favour of the audacious guise for he was intimidated by the power of that arrogant house he thus exasperated henry of navarre and also nurtured the pride of a dangerous rival all classes were now courting the duke of guise the first nobles of the land sought his protection and support by flattering letters and costly presents from all quarters says an ancient manuscript he received offerings of wine fruit confections ortolans horses dogs hawks and gerfalcons the letters accompanying these often contain a second paragraph petitioning for pensions or grants from the king or for places even down to that of apothecary or of barber to the dauphin the monarchs of foreign countries often wrote to him soliciting his aid the duke in the enjoyment of this immense wealth influence and power assumed the splendours of royalty and his court was hardly inferior to that of the monarch the king of poland and the duke of guise were rivals for the hand of anne the beautiful daughter of the duke of ferrara and guise was the successful suitor francis of lorraine was now appointed lieutenant-general of the french armies and the king addressed to all the provincial authorities special injunction to render as prompt and absolute obedience to the orders of the duke of guise as if they emanated from himself and truly says one of the writers of those times never had monarch in france been obeyed more punctually or with greater zeal in fact guise was now the head of the government and all the great interests of the nation were ordered by his mind henry was a feeble prince with neither vigour of body nor energy of intellect to resist the encroachments of so imperial a spirit he gave many indications of uneasiness in view of his own thraldom but he was entirely unable to dispense with the aid of his sagacious ally it will be remembered that one of the daughters of claude and a sister of francis the second duke of guise married the king of scotland her daughter the niece of francis was the celebrated mary queen of scots she had been sent to france for her education and she was married when very young to her cousin francis son of henry the second and of the infamous catherine de medici he was heir of the french throne this wedding was celebrated with the utmost magnificence and the guises moved on the occasion through the palaces of royalty with the pride of monarchs henry the second was accidentally killed in a tournament and francis his son under the title of francis the second with his young and beautiful bride the unfortunate mary queen of scots ascended the throne francis was a feeble-minded consumptive youth of sixteen whose thoughts were all centred in his lovely wife mary who was but fifteen years of age was fascinating in the extreme and entirely devoted to pleasure she gladly transferred all the power of the realm to her uncles the guises about this time the conflict between the catholics and the protestants began to grow more violent the catholics drew the sword for the extirpation of heresy the protestants grasped their arms to defend themselves the guises consecrated all their energies to the support of the papal church and to the suppression of the reformation the feeble boy francis the second sat languidly upon his throne but seventeen months 
when he died on the fifth of december fifteen sixty and his brother charles the ninth equally enervated in mind and with far less moral worth succeeded to the crown the death of francis the second was a heavy blow to the guises the admiral coligny one of the most illustrious of the protestants and the bosom friend of henry of navarre was standing with many other nobles at the bedside of the monarch as he breathed his last gentlemen said the admiral with that gravity which was in accordance with his character and his religious principles the king is dead it is a lesson to teach us all how to live the protestants could not but rejoice that the guises had thus lost the peculiar influence which they had secured from their near relationship to the queen admiral coligny retired from the deathbed of the monarch to his own mansion and sitting down by the fire became lost in the most profound reverie he did not observe that his boots were burning until one of his friends called his attention to the fact ah he replied not a week ago you and i would each have given a leg to have things take this turn and now we get off with a pair of boots antoinette the widow of claude of lorraine and the mother of francis the then duke of guise was still living she was so rancorous in her hostility to the protestants that she was designated by them mother of the tyrants and enemies of the gospel greatly to her annoyance a large number of protestants conducted their worship in the little town of vassy just on the frontier of the domains of the duke of guise she was incessantly imploring her son to drive off these obnoxious neighbours the duke was at one time journeying with his wife their route lay through the town of vassy his suite consisted of two hundred and sixty men-at-arms all showing the warlike temper of their chief and even far surpassing him in bigoted hatred of the protestants on arriving at vassy the duke entered the church to hear high mass it is said that while engaged in this act of devotion his ears were annoyed by the psalms of the protestants who were assembled in the vicinity he sent an imperious message for the minister and the leading members of the congregation immediately to appear before him the young men fulfilled their mission in a manner so taunting and insulting that a quarrel ensued shots were exchanged and immediately all the vassals of the duke who were ripe for a fray commenced an indiscriminate massacre the protestants valiantly but unavailingly defended themselves with sticks and stones but the bullets of their enemies reached them everywhere in the houses on the roofs in the streets for an hour the carnage continued unchecked and sixty men and women were killed and two hundred wounded one only of the men of the duke was killed francis was ashamed of this slaughter of the defenceless and declared that it was a sudden outbreak for which he was not responsible and which he had done everything in his power to check but ever after this he was called by the protestants the butcher of vassy end of section fifteen